0: to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world.
1: Hello and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and you're tuning into our series Percolating on Faith, God Shots, with your favorite guests, (laughs) Charmaine and Tony Chabella-Smith. Yay! Welcome back, dear friends. Hi, Carla. How are you doing? I'm great. So today, we are continuing through the book, Faith Seeking Understanding, and we're on the chapter that I'm calling, What Are Human Beings? And so this should be so easy. The answer is, we all are. Done and done. What a great podcast, Charmaine and That's Tony. The sh- Thank you. Shortest Thank podcast you. ever. I- I just feel so enlightened and like I learned so much. I should write a book. There you go. It'll, right. it'll be a
2: short book, Carla. Uh, I,
1: well, that's absolutely true. So that's not... I actually thought that really was the title of the, the chapter and then Tony told me what the real title was and I'm like, my title's better. But maybe Tony, you should tell us what the real title is to...
3: Chapter 7,
1: I think. Sure. Dan-
2: Chapter 7 of... of Daniel
3: Migliore's book right. called Faith Seeking Understanding. And we're using it, just as a recap, uh, we're using this as a way of doing a systematic theology, uh, Christian theology. And uh, again, this, this comes because um, a seeker once said, you know, I feel like I, I need to start all over and look at Christianity anew. And so we've, that's why we've, we started this particular series is to start looking at what are these different acts, aspects of Christianity and uh, to look at them through the lens of uh, kind of mainline Christian mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. So each of these um, God shots we've been doing has been a different one of the categories that would make up a systematic theology.
2: And so this chapter in Meliori's book is titled... Humanity as creature, comma, sinner, comma, and new being in Christ. So, I and you were totally bored by that title, I think, weren't you, Carla?
1: <laughs> well, what are human beings just sounds a little bit more catchy. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, uh, so let's just jump into it. What does it mean to be human? Mm.
2: That's, uh, that is a profound question. And, you know, we, in the past we've talked in other podcasts about God as mystery and the divine mystery and the mystery of the Trinity and so on. And yet uh, we have to honestly say that human beings are a mystery. We are a mystery to ourselves. We, we all wonder about who are we, what is our purpose, what, why are we here, what, what are we to do. What does it mean to live well? What does it mean to live faithfully? What does it mean to love? What does it mean to be a person? So, um, it's not just Christianity as a religion that that offers responses to that. I mean, pretty much every world religion and all kinds of philosophies, secular and otherwise, wrestle with the question: What are human beings? what What is it? What is it about us that makes us worth? anything at all or interesting to, to get to know. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we, we are, in some ways, we are as much a mystery to ourselves as God is to yeah. us.
3: And we're kind of the focus of our, of our own study. I mean, if you think about um, some of the different disciplines like sociology, um, which is, you know, the study of people as in groupings and as cultures or psychology, how is it that the human mind and, the per, and human personality works or doesn't work? And so um, it, there's, you know, there's a lot within our own culture that is constantly trying to say, who are we? What makes uh, a human being a human being? What does uh, a human culture, uh, what is it made up of? And what are, are the elements that um, affect how individuals are shaped and all that kind of thing. So, it's actually a pretty big topic, uh, though we may not always think of it as being as being something that we're constantly actually reflecting on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, uh, at least at least in Western consumer cultures, uh, we're we're <laughs> we're given all kinds of of messages all the time that try to keep us from thinking very much about this. Human beings are consumers, right? That's kind of a a message we receive. You, you are, you, you, you exist in order to consume things and to wear the right clothes and to be on top of stuff and be fashionable or to be this and that. And it's like, wow, there's gotta be more to us than that. There really has to be more to human life than that.
1: Well, I mean, absolutely. Like if it, if it's true what it says in Genesis, that we are made and created in the image of God, then I think that God is much, much more than a mere consumer. (laughs) At least I really hope so.
3: That's a really great way to tie that into the whole, yeah, yeah. And that's actually um, one of Meliori's beginning places is um, one of the, a Christian way of looking at what humanity is, is is to kind of explore what does it mean that that humans are made in God's image, and um, he does a really great job at, in his chapter. But and we're we're gonna we'll probably touch on some of the things he said, but but uh, we'll be wandering about. So <laughs> anyone who's actually read the chapter will say, I didn't hear them talk about this, this, or this that Meliori said, and so we're not really going to try and give you a recap of the chapter, but um, this is an, an area where he really does some fun exploring about what this what this means that we're in made in God's image and what it doesn't mean. And um, so one of the things that he explores is the idea um, in, the, in the first Genesis story, so in Genesis 1 of uh, being made in God's image, um, and here he's very clear that this is not about um that who we you know how our our physical bodies our stature is what is being talked about It's, it's not like human beings look like god that's that's um he's saying that there you know have been some groups that have talked about it that way but that that's been discarded long, long ago. Um, that it's not about our physical being that we're... Mm. But that... So what it says is that human humans were creating God's image, male and female. And that there isn't... So there's a mutuality there about... Male and female. There isn't a hierarchy there, um, but that's something that's often lost in patriarchal societies. Um, that that is the first description of what it means to be made in God's image, male and female. Um, so anyhow, that's he he goes there and explores some of the possibilities.
2: And also, he, he says it's not only that image of God doesn't all, besides not meaning that like. We're just a carbon copy of some dude in the sky. Also, it's like, um,
3: or some woman, or some <laughs> woman,
2: yeah. So, <laughs> it's sometimes in the history of Christian thought, the image of God has been taken to refer to our rational nature, our you know, our, our ability to to think rationally. But he says it's not that either. The image of God does not refer to something in us, some faculty uh, of, of human being that's somehow. We have a mind. God has a mind, and therefore, that's the image of God. It's it's much more holistic, I think, is what he's he's trying to get at. You know, that human beings are human beings are created to reflect divine divine reality, and that divine reality is communal. That's part of his argument in that chapter. Is that I think I got that right, Charmaine? Yeah, it,
3: yeah, I um, yeah, that it's about relationship. It's about um, that's part of. What makes makes us being in the image of God is that we are made for relationship. That we are made not just for ourself, ourself but for uh, community, for family, for interaction, and that that is the, the characteristic of God that is most um, that is created in human humanity.
2: So the, the the idea of being in the image of God, um, it it's a, a symbolic expression that captures, uh, relate relationality, or being created for relationship, being being created to reflect, the the good God who made everything good, uh, being created to re- live in relationship and mutuality with each other. But this image of image of God applies to every single human person. Um, at, and that's got just like profound ethical consequences for us too because if every single person is a reflection of the image of God or created to be in the image of God, then uh, a, a, a Christian ethic ought, ought to start there and ought to, I mean, that, that, has an, an, that should have an impact on how you treat refugee children at the border, right? It should have an impact on how we view gender and sexual identity and so on. It should have a, an impact on how we see uh, uh, men and women working together and being together and so on. And it's, there, there's a lot of implications by saying human beings are created in the image of God.
3: Right, and one of the corrective that he, that he does there, too, because this is also in Genesis near the places where it talks about, um, well, that is sometimes uh, most commonly translated as that that humanity has dominion over the world, and you know he talks about this is not about um, this is not about use of power, but this is about compassion for creation, just as God created. Um, things to be in relationship and in a compassionate way, that that's what's being described when it's talking about what our relationship to creation should be, rather than as being consumers, uh, users, uh, that it's all for for upholding our power and um, our, our superiority in some way. That that's, um, that that's another corrective to some of the ideas that people have used about being made in the image of God, because some people would say, well, we're made in the image of God, therefore we can create whatever we want, you know, atomic bombs or, um, chemicals that destroy our, our, the world around us or, um, you know, pollutions that just, you know, that disturb the other creatures and, and life, um, ecosystems so yeah so it's a it's a whole nother way of saying who who is it who is god and what does it mean that we're made in that image um and it's not about us having more power but it's about us loving better
2: <laughs> yeah so i guess you know that the question what what are human beings what are we who are we uh a, a Christian theology can answer that question with this picture of us as to, we have a, a Christian faith has a very high view of the human person, right? We are created in the image of God to reflect this, to reflect the. <laughs> thinking back to our to our earlier um, podcast on the Trinity, to reflect the mutuality, the shared love. The interchange of the Trinity, human beings are reflect are, are created to reflect mutuality, interaction, um, responsibility, res- responsibility uh, re- okay. reciprocal love. Um, that's that's who we're created to be. That's a pretty uh, a pretty exalted view of human beings um, when you think about it. Does that make sense to you, Carla? It does actually. I, I mean, I guess hearing you speak,
1: I realized that this is a really big conversation, you know, because I kind of wanted to jump back and I don't know if you have time for it or if you want to talk about it, going back to, you know, created in God's image, male and female, because I know a lot of people who consider themselves gender fluid and who are gender fluid. And so what does that mean for them? Are they no longer human beings anymore? I I don't think so. Or or, or
3: are they even more so, <laughs> are they? Oh, uh, interesting. So we yeah. had a, actually we had a long co- uh, conversation about this earlier about some of the possible ways of understanding the idea that that um, people are are creating God's image, male and female. So first, it it reflects the idea that God is within God. Those two terms are expressed. So that's one way of understanding it. But another way is to say that humanity was created male and female. You could start to think about that as that being in each person, male and femaleness. And and there's some psychological, um, you know, there's some Freudian, Jungian, especially psychology that would really stress the idea of, the, the masculine and feminine those of course being very uh, culturally constructed views of the time um, but but to go along with that if the idea is that within each of us is both male and female that then creates this very long spectrum of um, of what it means what our gender identity is and uh, and there's along there's all kinds of spaces along the way so you might um have so the mix of male and female within people um is different for different people mm-hmm. but um the the idea that both are uh, resident in some way within all of us um allows for actually a lot of different expressions mm-hmm. then of um, gender identity, and I think also uh, sexual expression, sexual orientation. So, you know, it's, it's all in how you look at it, but um, for sure, uh, of course, these are all ideas that the, the writers, the people who wrote down these ideas that are in the Old Testament could not have conceived of, I don't think. Um <laughs> absolutely I' of course, and so we're not saying that this is what they are saying, but we're saying if if we want to let the let the Bible speak in our time with a whole different cultural set of understandings of uh biology and of science and of um, environmental circumstances, all those kinds of things and and language to talk about uh, gender and sexuality um then it, you know, we can look at this um, this concept in the Old Testament in Genesis, and say, you know, if if what's being said here is that uh, the creation of of gender in some way um, it's not binary, it's not dualistic. You know, it's not like male and female are separate worlds. Um, but that they are in relationship to each other, you know, it really does give us the possibility of saying, "What you know, you know that I'm you know I'm not sure, uh, you know, if the listeners are familiar with some of the Jungian psychology where there's the masculine and the feminine, and um, you know, in your dreams you may have a woman might have um, a dream about a um, uh, a masculine personality trying to to force itself into her house, and uh, and in a Jungian approach, that might be seen as the masculine side of her wanting to be integrated into who she is. And so, you know, this is this is a psychological uh, understanding that has been tried to be worked through in the last century or so. But so, uh, just using that kind of a background. The idea that there is in us both um, then gives um, us as Christians room to, to acknowledge. actually gives us some biblical background to say, you know, that whole wide range um, is part of God's intent in, in created humans.
2: And, and so just to, you know, to take that and, and go back to the Genesis text for a second... The the Genesis text refers to God created humanity and the Hebrew word is haadam. adam Uh, Adam Adam is not a name uh, in the Hebrew Bible. Adam is a description of a class of things, human beings. And uh, as the Old Testament scholar Phil Stribble once delightfully argued, uh, you should translate it earth creature. Because Adam is connected to the Hebrew word Adamah, which means dirt. <laughs> so, God created the earth creature, male and female. But the text doesn't say male or female, mm-hmm. right? So, in other words, if if the even though even though the the is the authors in the sixth century BCE when this text was written, if they're 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 not able to think in these kind of terms yet. But nevertheless, they still Capt- were,
3: capturing. Yeah, something. they're
2: they're still cap- trying to capture something about human being. That is, to to be human is a combination. It's right?
3: beyond one or the right. other,
2: right? So, and and this is very consistent in the Hebrew Bible. Hebrew Bible, um, even though there's lots of lots of patriarchal stuff in it, generally it's non dualistic when it comes to humanity. That is, it doesn't make a sharp differentiation between you know your your physical nature and your spiritual nature. You know, you you don't you don't have a body in the Bible. You are a body, and so. I just think what what Charmaine is describing, it it has a basis in the text, really, of Genesis one. So, yeah. So, so yes, of course, uh, all kinds of like gender is a social construct, right? And and yet the text is trying to say, as its author understood, human being as male and female, that equals humanity, not. Not male is humanity and female is lesser humanity or something like that.
1: How interesting. I love that. Uh, earth creature. So the next time I talk to my really good friend, Adam, I should just call him earth creature.
2: <laughs> yes. Or call him dirt boy, as I like to. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know that I'll be happy to do I that. I know that you'll
2: be happy to do that.
1: <laughs> so I feel like we've we've talked about the, you, you said that there's three ways to see Um human beings, created in God's image, sinners, and forgiven sinners. I don't know if you already mentioned that, but you mentioned that to me. Yeah. <laughs> so you might not have mentioned on the podcast yet. So we, I feel like we've talked a lot about created in God's image and what that means. Can we talk a little bit about what it mean, what the word sinner means and uh, because I hate that word, personally. <laughs> understood. Understood. And and I
2: hate that I'm so good at it. Actually,
1: <laughs> Tony, I actually heard you're an expert sinner. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I hear that word I coined earlier. I am a spectacular sinner. <laughs> <laughs> you are indeed, my friend. You are.
1: So, can we talk a little bit about why, like? What does it mean to be a sinner? And, and maybe even if we have time to jump into the, those two nasty little words, the original oh, sin. Oh, yes,
3: that one. Good. Yeah, that would be a good one to to kind of give a, a more accurate definition of what was intended uh, by that term and how, and how it's been really misused in, in a lot of really, um, I think, tragic ways. In people's lives. But yeah, let's, let's start with the idea of well, that we are sinners and what does sin mean? And, you know, I think for lots of people, and it may be that they haven't actually heard this said, but it's kind of the implication of a lot of religious language, um, that, that somehow being sinners is, um, is is breaking certain kinds of rules that God wants us to mm-hmm. keep, and that if we break those rules, then we're putting ourselves outside of God's reach. Um, and that really, in most really uh, good theology, is not accurate at all. Um, one of the ways that you might have heard that's, I think, a, a bit that we hear quite a bit in community of Christ um, is the idea that that sin is anything that separates us from God or others or from ourselves. So it's those thoughts or actions or behaviors uh, um, that are separating us from God or ourselves, and that it's. Not a prescribed list of things that you know. If you do this, then obviously, you know, you've separated yourself. But it's it can be a whole it can be a whole bunch of things. Um, so that's I think um, a more generous way of understanding what it means that we are sinners that we are um, that we we do things we say things that that create barriers between our ability to sense God or to take in God's love for us, and affects um, our ability to have loving relationships with others or with ourselves. And um, a very short definition that Migliori uses is, says, to be a sinner is to deny or distort our created being. Mm -hmm. I'll say that again. To deny or distort our created being, so if we are created in God's image, in whatever you know, in the different ways we were talking about that, um, as as our very essence is um, is intentional uh, from God's part, on God's part, um, that when. We do not see ourselves as, um, when we do things that do not value our worth as, um, as loved part of creation, that that is sin. And I kind of like that um, mm-hmm. because it values very highly what it means to be a created being. What it means to be known and loved uh, by God. Um, so, anyhow, that I think that's kind of another place mm-hmm. to go with it.
2: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's a very helpful way to think about sin. Sin is unfortunately one of those words that has been uh, co-opted by lots of popular religious uh, usage and just reduced in meaning. Um, to just breaking a bunch of rules and and it 's like no it's at least at least in class in the best of classical Christian theology and it, if you take the the meta view of the biblical story sin, sin the word sin is trying to describe that these creatures who are in the image of God and beloved of God uh, often think and act in ways that deny. That they're beloved, um, th- act in ways contrary to their own essential nature as creatures of God, um, and so and, and Christian theology sees this as a universal reality. Um, of course, it it has you know s- cultural cultural specifics on it, but uh, in 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 so many ways, you know the 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 Greek word for sin is a, a term from archery, and it means to like. To miss the mark. <laughs> if you think about, if you've ever uh, shot archery, Carla, you know, when you're shooting at a target and you, you shoot wide, and, and so the original sense of the term sin is that we um, we're, we're we're created we're created in God's image, but we we, we constantly seem to act in ways that that <laughs> are off target, so to speak. Hmm. Um, and you know, Melioria will want to insist, and community of Christians will want to insist. Even even in that, we are beloved of God. God loves us, and does, that this does not change the fact that we are in the image of God. But it's it's an actual reality. One of the ways I like to talk about it is that we're created to reflect the love and reciprocity and compassion of God, and yet in so many ways we're broken mirrors. We 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 don't we don't we don't reflect it in a. a Often a in a very way. positive yeah, yeah, yeah very true way, and so the idea of original sin in Christian theology um, is is a, is at its best it's it was always trying to account for how is it that this distortion of our human being seems to exist everywhere
3: yeah, and that's the term original sin has been misused in lots and lots of places, and quite often um, people, when they hear the term original sin, think about um, a a way of thinking about humanity that just assumes that um, people are scum, you know, that we're all scumbags, and that we're evil, nasty uh, people, um, and that we, we need some heroic uh, something to to keep us from self-destruction and and it's but it's a very negative view that some people have when they use the term original sin and but the actual beginning idea of original sin is that um we human beings are born um self-centered um and that's just a part of who we are, and you know, you don't have to be around a baby very long to realize they are pretty insistent that <laughs> certain of their needs be taken care of. And you know, we as infants and as small children, we expect the world to revolve around our needs and our circumstances. And as we get older, we hope um, that we become uh, less insistent that the world revolve around us, that, that we become more, uh, aware to the needs of the, of others, uh, to become not just the receivers of love, but the givers of love as well and of care and of concern. Um, and so the idea of original sin is that this tendency that we have, human beings have this tendency of being self centered to be self selfish, um, to want things to be revolving around us. And and I think any of us who've ever been in a relationship will find that we have to struggle with that at times, Um, that desire to be the center, to to have things our way, to be comfortable, um, to receive love um, all the time. So uh, I think that's... A much better idea, a, a definition of what original sin is. It's not negative or positive, it's just describing what is typical of hum- humanity. And the uh, the need for having a word like that comes f- over history as we look at all, all cultures. Uh, we look at all kinds of places in the world where the you know, the very, uh, the the tendency Mm -hmm. for there to be war, to be greed, to, for individuals or countries to, to want everything to be about them.
2: Go ahead. Yeah. So what, why, you know, why, why is genocide not a phenomenon of one culture only? And why is the, uh, abuse of power not a phenomenon of one culture only? Um, why
3: why does it cross all yeah. all of humanity
2: yeah and why and actually why does the abuse of power cross gender boundaries too i mean it's it's a it's a human mm-hmm. constant human phenomenon and you know why why is it that human beings uh almost instinctively want want to uh protect their own and <laughs> uh, often oppress the weak and the marginalized and the outsider and you know this, there there are these constant human tendencies that that are cross cultural cross historical and so original sin is a as a christian idea christian symbol is trying to say you know what all human beings are are in this boat we're all we're we we all have this profound tendency uh to be stuck on ourselves <laughs> you know um now S- Saint Augustine, who had some very unhelpful things to say about original sin, for example, he sometimes tried to connect it to uh, sexuality, and sometimes tried to you know think about it in- genetically. Um, also, had some I think helpful things to say about it, and he, the thing that Charmaine is describing, Augustine described as uh, love of self, uh, not, and I'm not talking about positive acceptance of self, but when he when he used the phrase amor sui love of self he talked about this this human propensity to be in love with our own self interest <laughs> which i think is works as a definition of selfishness and gosh that crosses all kinds but of sin. yeah yeah sin. And so it's it the, the propensity of humans to uh, be in orbit around our own self interest is uh universal and cross historical and so original sin is a, a doctrine that's trying to capture that now by the way we do know that Joseph Smith in that wentworth letter from 1842 I think said we you know we he wrote we we believe we're responsible for our own sin and not the sin of Adam all right well he's part right and he's part wrong there um, yes we are responsible for our own activities but that statement does not account for at all uh, the fact that we're not born—we're not born and raised in some kind of uh, ethical empty slate, right? We—they're are we they're are they're, we we're, we're, we're uncultured. We are nurtured into these sorts of things, and so it's—it's—it's it's, it's only a marginally helpful way of thinking about sin, I think. And so, community of Christ theology um, has, for fifty or sixty years, said. Sin is a universal phenomenon of shared human estrangement from our true being, and so I think that's a a way to think about this. Say that again. Yeah, he, a, a,
3: he, I like that. Yeah, so we, say it again. <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs> um, we there there is a a universal phenomenon. It's shared across human experience, of being estranged, separated from our true essence our true identity as God's children as created in the image of God both things are simultaneously true we are we are we bear the image of God and therefore are creatures of immense worth at the same time we're constantly constantly estranged from that truth in ourselves and in our social life and in our religious life
1: yeah and i think we kind of recognize i mean i know i recognize that when I feel estranged from God and I, and I always know it's me. I, I have a picture in my mind of a yo-yo. Maybe I've said this before, you know, like God is the finger doing the yo-yo and (laughs) I'm the one going back and forth all the time. I love it. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So I recognize, I, and I think most people probably do. I hope, well, I guess if you, if you're in touch with yourself, maybe Mm -hmm. you, you know, when you're estranged and when you're not, I'm, yeah, I wonder if that's where like not- narcissism comes into yeah. play, or
3: yeah, I think where where we when we are afraid to look at our own behaviors or inner um, our inner selfishness, it, when we're unwilling to look at those things, then we can't see how those things uh, separate us from our best self, from our uh, relationship with God from others. So yeah, I think yeah, narcissism is this unquestioned belief that uh, we we deserve a certain thing or that we are better than everybody else. Um, and actually, one of the ways that people avoid this idea of um, of sin being those things that separate us from God or those things that distort our, our best um, understanding of being that created being, uh, created in God's image, is actually to go back to the idea of rules. of we, we determine someone's value or their closeness to God by the fact that they can keep all of these religious rules. Uh, It's a way of not having to be self-aware and look at our own um, inner motivations towards self-love, towards selfishness, um, towards our tendency to manipulate so that we get what we want. I mean, um, so rules are a really easy way to not have to look at that stuff Um, because then we can just say, well, I didn't murder anybody today and I didn't sleep with my neighbor's you know, whatever, and <laughs> and I didn't covet too much, you know. Um, so I, you know, I think when people have rules, it's a great way to not look at really what the root of this definition of sin is, which is um, is that desire for more for us. You know, whether that comes in greed, whether it comes in recognition, mm. whether that comes in power. Over other people, but anyhow, yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up.
2: So, so I think a a, a key aspect for us to bring across, and Emilio was certainly is aligned with this, is that sin refers to a human tendency to reject or not accept that we are beloved children of God. Good. That's that's a whole different spin on sin. I think. I, say that again. Sin. Sin is this human tendency to reject or not accept that we are beloved children of God.
3: And to just tie in a little other piece is that the other, the other person, the next person is also a beloved child of God.
2: Oh, that's good. Absolutely. It, is, it has a, an individual and a communal, and then it has a cosmic element that the good creation does not belong to God is not beloved of God in other words mm,
3: if it's, when we act against mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. We, we are saying it doesn't belong it right. isn't created in God's image as well
2: it's, if we treat it as if it's to be exploited by us that's mm-hmm. an expression of self-love mm-hmm. of self-interest and not an expression of it being part of the the giant theater God has created for us to be part of and to to, to live in relationship in so so sin has an individual. And then a corporate sherman mentioned, and then a cosmic has cosmic dimensions. Um, our current environmental really big crisis is connected to uh, our estrangement from nature. It's connected to our to selfishness and greed and self-interest and an inability to accept the needs of the other, whether that's other people or. The- or the, the world, the uh, sea earth. turtles. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: The earth, the soil, the yeah. air, the water. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, you know, once we establish what what it is that that sin is <laughs> or isn't, um, then we that makes room then for so. What is the remedy for that, and um, so that. So that we can continue to try and live out that image of God, peace, and you know that is that we are forgiven sinners, um, and that that and by that it means that we're enabled by God's grace, God's love, um, to begin life anew. That we can we can keep turning, you know. Um, Repentance, the term for repentance, um, in Greek, Greek,
2: and in, Hebrew, and in yeah.
3: Hebrew, means to turn, to reorient yourself, and so the idea that God is through through Christ and through through the Christ's uh, life, ministry, example, uh, resurrection, uh, all of that um, is creating. New avenues for us to turn again, to turn back to God, to find new ways of doing, and that the, and with the Spirit's help, that we can can retrain our hearts and our minds and our actions, so that they more take on um, the the taste, the flavor of the Kingdom of God. Um, that you know, our our whole life is an opportunity to. To train ourselves away from our selfishness, our self-centeredness, towards an openness to God's presence in the whole creation, God's presence in the other, God's presence in in our relationships, that we can become more have more capacity for love, more capacity for understanding and empathy, um, and and care for for all of creation. So it's yeah so. We, we can't talk about being sinners without talking about being forgiven sinners mm-hmm. because that's, that's what reminds us that this whole discussion about being human is acknowledging that being human means we're in relationship with God. And to name this one aspect of humanity as sin, our selfishness, self-centeredness, is then also we need to look at how is it that God chooses to continue to be in relationship with us even in spite of that mm-hmm. um, and so we see um, you know Christ in many ways being that reminder that that we are invited to keep practicing this new way of being and that we're given images whether it be of Christ or of, of other people. Um, around us or in history who have taken steps towards self-awareness towards um self-forgiveness but but then also of um committing to care for the other for openness to the other to learn from the other Mm -hmm. rather than to assume superiority or or betterness
2: and so what Charmaine's saying it's then it it, you, you'd understand why, logically, uh, in Meliori's book and in Christian theology generally, the next the next topic is on Christology, on Jesus the Christ. So, you know, um, we we have been created for reciprocity and mutual relationship with each other, with creation, with God. Uh, we have a, a lot of ways of distorting that picture, um, and. Christ for, for us as Christians, Christ is the lens by which we can see a whole new way of being um, that frees us to live in that kind of new relationship, i.e., new creation. And so that's actually where where Ameliori will go more in more in depth in the next couple of chapters after this chapter. But but it's that there. There's good. So what we've got is there's good news, there's bad news, and then there's even more good news. To be honest. <laughs> so so to, to state the even more good news here, I'll I'll quote, um, uh, or I'll just refer to one of what one of what I think is one of the most profound sermons in the 20th century was the sermon by the theologian Paul Tillich, titled "You Are Accepted." And in that sermon, he articulates. A lot of the stuff we're talking about—the sense of being estranged and of finding ourselves, in, you know, constantly messing up or less than—but and yet, nevertheless, this God who has created us accepts us. We and, and the the journey of the Christian life becomes the journey of accepting that we are accepted already. Uh, so that's the that's the the even more good news. We are accepted and thus empowered by grace to live in a whole new set of relationships.
3: Actually, I just had a, another thought and I, I, this may we might want to take this one out, but <laughs> but <laughs> what if we thought about sin as proving our own worth? And thinking about how what being forgiven is is God reminding us we already have worth. Hmm. that in God's heart, in God's eyes, in God's, God's love, our worth has never been doubted, and that we are keep being invited to live out of our awareness of our worth that God gives us in our lives, and that sin is when we decide we have to prove or exert our worth over other people, and we're not accepting our worth or the worth of other people's as a given—it's uh, something we feel like we have to force mm-hmm. uh, either on ourselves um, or on others. Anyhow, it's just another way of thinking about what sin is and why, um, why, how God sees us is the remedy to our our tendency to be all about proving our own.
2: Worth. It's. I, I. think that's actually a very, a very profound way of thinking about it. Um, so I. I opt for keeping it in, Carla. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got it. Uh,
2: I mean, th- if you think about it, think. Or, for example, think about uh, uh, workaholism. And one of the root causes of behind workaholism is the sense that you're not enough, and you have to do more, do more, do more, be more, produce more, produce more to. Prove that you are of worth to somebody or some institution or some corp- corporation, and think of the consequences that has on personal and family and relational life um, environmental life too um and and yet what if what if you didn't have to do that to be worth something to God? you already were of boundless worth to God in other words um the the sin is in trying to to prove something that you didn't have to prove in the first place. Um, and so, and in that trying to prove something that you didn't have to prove in the first place,
3: you make yourself the center.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And there's usually a pretty big body count around that too. Mm. Right. Um,
3: heart attacks. And oh,
2: well, yeah. Heart, heart attacks, counts. but then destroyed friendships and relationships mm-hmm. and so on. That's just one. just as one example of, I think what, what Charmaine is uh, really uh, insightfully described there. So, um, we are accepted by the God who created us in spite of our tendencies to distort and uh, to, to be a, a, a fractured mirror, so on. We are accepted in spite of, we see this in Jesus Christ. And um, thus, as human beings, we are empowered by that acceptance to embrace not only our own worth, but embrace the worth of others around us who are equally accepted. And then also to embrace our our role in the cosmos as divine partners. Not that we're divine, but as partners with with God in creating a different kind of world. So it's a I think it's a really
3: I was glad to to hear you affirm that you're not divine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Yes.
3: Because <laughs> then we would have a problem if you're starting to believe that. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea of divinized human beings, uh, or that human beings are gods, is an idea that has created uh, enormous evil in over the over
3: centuries, different
2: centuries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, world War One, for example. <laughs> that's a story for another time.
1: <laughs> and World War Two, uh, yeah, for example. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Exactly. It's, it's, So,
1: so we've talked about how we've been created in God's image, how we are all sinners and yet, and how we are also all forgiven sinners, which I, I see, and I could be wrong, but I see as that forgiveness as pretty much instantaneous on God's side, but a little, a little slower on the human side (laughs) to maybe accept that forgiveness. I don't know if you would agree with mm -hmm. that or not, but that's how I see it.
3: Absolutely. And I, and I think, um, it's even faster than instantaneous because in some ways it's, it's preemptive um, that God's forgiveness is there before we even know to recognize what, you know, the places where we're distorting um, our, our humanity. Uh, it's already there. I, in fact, um, one of the, for me, this, this idea is uh, personal. It's not just an, uh, a set of ideas, but as a young adult, um, kind of experimenting with life, um, I came to a point where I was very, feeling very, very guilty and feeling far from God. You know, at your, your yo yo <laughs> is a great image. And I was way down at the bottom. And I was convinced that because some of the things I was doing were what I would consider at that time willful, you know, things that I wanted to do because I wanted to do them. I wanted to experience these things in life.
2: Oh, because you're not divine either, right? No, (laughs) apparently
3: not. Um, But anyhow, I, um, I really had a lot of guilt um, for, you know, the things that, that I was doing and the reasons why and, I really felt a long ways away from God. And um, I heard a message on a, on a Sunday morning by somebody who I very much uh, respected and, and believed that they, they were um, someone who knew God better than I did. And he said, you know, there are people here who feel like they can never be forgiven. And I thought that's me, and and then he. But he followed that with, um, but God has already forgiven you, and and the reality of that was, you know, an actual physical feeling of a weight being lifted off of me, and that idea that God's forgiveness um, makes a dis- a difference was was tangible. For me, and you know, the lightness and the new capacity to be loved and to believe that I was loved by God um, just opened up in me, and you know, that's that was a long time ago, um, and yet it it's become one of those foundational things that I know about God is that God's love is far bigger than anything that we can do um, or any barriers that we might put up. Um, And so the idea of forgiveness of sins here doesn't require that the person be, um, you know, appropriately repentant and groveling (laughs) or or whatever people have in their mind, but that there be an openness... To knowing that they they are forgivable, mm-hmm. that we are all forgivable, and because we are all already loved by God, mm-hmm. and God wants us to live from there, and so is willing to uh, help us remove the guilt and those other barriers that keep us from knowing that we are fully loved. So for me, that's that's huge. It's not just uh, an idea. It's uh, it's what has and does give me life
2: and in a sense an experience like that restores our own sense of personhood yeah and a possibility um and to go back you mentioned earlier Charmaine the you know the Hebrew and Greek words for for repentance especially the Hebrew word to turn Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because in that experience you turn to receive what was already there
3: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. that's true and I I didn't know it was there because mm -hmm. I was still working with this idea that I had broken some rules and therefore, you know, I was on the wrong side of the ledger sheet with <laughs> God and that, you know, I, I couldn't undo those things. And so um, that would stand as a barrier between me and God and, and that just kind of got swept away.
2: So we, we human beings then, we, we, are, we are wonderfully mysterious Creatures
3: and complex,
2: totally complex, um, and and capable of so much, both good and evil. We're, we're capable. We're capable of uh, almost boundless compassion. At the same time, we're also capable of the most extraordinary forms of racism and evil towards others. So, so we have to we have to recognize this paradox of being a human. And you have to have some orienting point to 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 uh, think about your what it means to be human, and, and and certainly in Christian theology, Jesus Jesus Christ becomes that orienting point for us, and and both pointing back to our create creation in the image of God, but also pointing ahead to what we can be in community as we struggle together for the reign of God on earth. Well, so. It's a it's a cool topic, Carla, and when we, you know, Ameliori's, Ameliori's chap, chapter is worth reading over and over again. It's really good, and we can't obviously cover every aspect of it in this podcast. But anyway, what we've been talking about is theological anthropology: is who, what do we, what are, we, what do we mean by humanity? Who are we, human beings, and what does it look like to view human beings from a, not the, but from a. Lens of Christian theology. So that's kind of what we've been doing.
1: Well, I, I'm certainly blown away <laughs> a little bit. You know, it's, it is hard to to look at yourself and to do that study of yourself, the way you study God or the mm. way you study something else. Uh, it's because you have an intimate knowledge of yourself, but then again, you don't have an intimate knowledge of yourself. Mm. So what an interesting way to think about it. You know, it's like that meta thinking, right? Yes. Thinking about your thinking.
3: It's, yeah. Yeah. And actually that's the role of spiritual formation is to take those times of um, quiet, of reflection to, to look deeper and to ask the spirit to help you see more clearly who you are and uh, where those places of, of self-love might be. Hiding out and where those places are. That um, I mean, sometimes it's the recognizing the ways in which we distort uh, our own humanity or others. Um, those are th- those are the places where we then can seek repentance, can find that freedom to to know that we are loved by God. Um, and sometimes spiritual formation reminds us that we are loved by God, which then leads us into the self-awareness. So actually, um, that's one of the places where spiritual formation comes in because one of the purposes of spiritual formation is to take the time for self-awareness, to to look inside, to become aware of what's happening in our feelings, in our thoughts. Um, But it's also a place where we reflect on what does it mean that God loves us? Uh, what does it mean to be in God's presence and sometimes it's it is um, the experiencing of God's love or the of God's presence in those times of contemplative prayer or of stillness or in journaling that we get to see what's happening in us so it's, it can go either way either times of spiritual uh, uh, times of spiritual practice can Give us times to slow down and reflect and look inward and for us to see those places where we might be creating barriers between us and God or us and other people or where we're distorting our best humanity um, that then cause us to turn to God to ask to to see ourselves as we really are, to see ourselves as loved and forgiven uh, and to want to let go of some of those behaviors or the other way around. Um, sometimes encounter with God in our spiritual practices um, helps us to look inside. But either way, um, spiritual formation helps us to go to those other levels of of our own humanity, our own reality, and um, invite God there or accept God's invitation to go deeper.
2: And then also the, the spiritual formation, as well as this kind of systematic theological thinking, Lead us to certain social ethical possibilities, you know if we really if we really are going to take seriously this idea, this belief, this conviction that human beings are created in the image of God, created for relationship created for mutuality and for reciprocity, then that ought to have consequences for how we how we see political realities right um, how we see other nations, how we respond to other nations how we respond to other cultures how and we respond other, to refugees and
3: to other world faiths
2: and to other faiths absolutely and to how you re- how we respond to uh illegal aliens how we respond to uh people who are incarcerated how we respond to i mean almost anything fits here um if if you are created in the image of god and if God accepts accepts and loves you, then that really ought to have implications for how we act as a society, as a culture, how we act politically. So there's varieties of varieties of wider implications for all of this. I think Carla, for for our theological anthropology.
1: Uh, absolutely, I completely agree. Gosh, thank you so much, you two, for sharing your. Your wisdom with us on, on this subject that I've never actually even thought about, really. I mean, I have and I have it all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I well, mean, I don't well, want to sound like I'm an absolute idiot, but <laughs> sometimes there's a lot of different things to think about. Like, what am I going to have for dinner? That that's right. something very important <laughs> for me to think about. It so is. Exactly.
2: It is. Sometimes we reflect on the mystery of our being, and sometimes we reflect on what are we going to have on that pizza. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. But I really appreciate you both bringing up and talking about what you've been talking about. It's really important for us. Is there something that I missed that we want should that you want to share before we sign off?
3: No, I think I think we've meandered around in this <laughs> for uh, hit a few of them of a few interesting things. Maybe not all the important things, but it's good.
2: And so I guess the only other thing is that next, for our next one, we'll be working with Meliori's Chapter 8, The Person and Work of Jesus Christ. And for those who are trying to to read or follow with these, I would also recommend that you look at a statement Community of Christ has on its beliefs um, called uh, We Proclaim Jesus Christ. We sometimes refer to it as our Christology Statement. And it'd be a good statement to read alongside of uh, Meliori's chapter. And that'll be for next time.
1: That sounds great. All right, jumping on to chapter eight. And I think you said earlier we're halfway through the book, right? We have 14 chapters and this is halfway through. <laughs>
3: yep, that's it. That's right. <laughs> we can always add more items into a systematic theology. So if we come up with some that some big gaping holes of things that we think also need to be part of it, we can do that.
2: So Absolutely. I, guess, I guess if we think about that geographically, Carla, you know, we're in Independence, Missouri, and you're in, near Salt Lake City. And so right now where we are in Amelia's in book is we, I think we've just basically crossed the Kansas state line into Colorado.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and what a beautiful place to be.
2: <laughs> you know, it's exactly. Oz, isn't it, Carla?
1: <sighs> Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you so much, you two, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate
3: it. Well, we appreciate you doing this. Take care.
0: Blessings. You you too. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.